Testing one, two, three. Testing one, two, three. This is Radio Free Mormon on the air, broadcasting behind enemy lines. Tonight's episode, A Whale of a Tale, Part 2. This time, it's personal. You will recall that just earlier this month, I issued the original episode titled A Whale of a Tale, in which we took a very close look at a talk that was given in April 2018 General Conference. The talk was given by a member of the Seventy, and the member of the Seventy who gave that memorable talk was Elder Larry Y. Wilson. Why is his middle initial? Though later on, Elder Wilson may be wondering why it is that he gave this talk in the first place, because in this talk, he related a story about Frank Blair. And Frank Blair was an ensign in the United States Navy during the Korean War. And Frank Blair, according to the story, had a remarkable experience while he was serving as an ensign in the Korean War aboard a troop transport ship in a typhoon. And in the prior episode, I spent some time looking at the story that was told. It was a semi-miraculous story. And yet, after I got done looking at it, and after I got done passing it by some career Navy men to see if it passed muster... What we found out is that upon closer inspection, it broke up into little pieces like so much flotsam and jetsam on the water. And indeed, it seemed very, very unlikely that not only did the semi-miraculous parts of it happen, but even the unmiraculous parts of it did not happen. I am doing this podcast by way of follow-up to that podcast. Two things have happened since that podcast released on Sunday, August 12th. 2018. The first that I want to mention is that one of the listeners to this podcast took it upon himself to do some research regarding Ensign Blair to see if he could find out the name of the ship and some other details related to Ensign Blair's story that was told by Elder Larry Wilson in conference. Now, you will recall that there were not a lot of details that were given regarding this story. Really, the only detail that was given was the Korean War, and Ensign Blair's last name. The name of the ship was not given. The name of the captain of the ship was not given. The date of the incident was not given. But as I say, one of the listeners to this podcast, who is obviously very intelligent and good at looking things up and researching things, sent me the following information. The first thing that this listener did was find a news story in the Ogden Standard Examiner from August 19th, 1955, on page A11, which reported that Lieutenant Frank S. Blair, son of Mr. and Mrs. J. Clifford Blair, returned home this week after receiving his discharge from the U.S. Navy. Well, it's in the Ogden Standard Examiner, 1955, time looks right, place is probably right, since this young man was apparently an ensign, in the U.S. Navy and a Mormon, it would make sense that he would be returning home to some place in the heart of Utah, such as Ogden. The article itself notes that this officer, Lieutenant Frank S. Blair, served aboard, here's the name of the ship, served aboard the USS Marion County, and that's M-A-R-I-O-N, the USS Marion County. It appears that this ship was given the name Marion County because of the number of states that have a county in it named Marion. So apparently all the really good names got taken by the bigger ships like the destroyers and the aircraft carriers. But when you get down to this type of ship, which is a smaller kind of ship, and we'll go into that in a second, we get to the names of USS Marion County. Nevertheless, that appears to be the name of the ship 
that Frank S. Blair was serving on at the time of the incident that he relates regarding the typhoon. The article goes on to state that Frank S. Blair served aboard the USS Marion County as a chaplain. Okay, that sounds familiar from the story. And supply officer. So he was a chaplain and a supply officer. And that he spent, quote, the majority of his two years in Far Eastern waters, unquote. So it does appear almost certainly that this listener has found the Lieutenant Frank S. Blair, who is being referred to in general conference. He has located the name of the ship, the USS Marion County, and found an article saying that Lieutenant Frank S. Blair returned to his home in Utah in 1955 and that he had served on the ship, the USS Marion County, as a chaplain and supply officer. Now, once this much was found, this listener did additional research and was able to find that the USS Marion County has a number associated with it. The number associated with it is LST-975. The LST stands for Landing Ship Tank. Now, this is a little different than what was told in the story about it being a troop transport ship. Now, a troop transport ship is designed to carry and transport troops from one place to another. This ship was actually designed not so much to carry troops, but to carry tanks. That's why it's called a landing ship tank, or LST. It was created to carry tanks, wheeled and tracked vehicles, artillery, construction equipment, and supplies during military operations along coastal areas. Humorously, the LST, which really stands for landing ship tank, was referred to by their crews not as landing ship tank, but as large, slow targets. And once you know the name USS Marion County, that it was LST-975, you can find some more information about it on the internet. And the information is sketchy. It doesn't mention the name of the commander during the Korean War. It does mention the name of the commander during World War II, which is when it was built and launched on January 6, 1945. But we don't get the name of the commander or the captain during the Korean War. At least I was not able to find that name. But this appears to be another element of conflict now between the actual facts and the story. You see, this is the problem. When we start being able to find out the facts and research things based upon the name of the ship, we find out that it was not a troop transport, which is what it was claimed to be in general conference. Instead, it is a landing ship for tanks. Landing ship, comma, tank, LST. Now, it is possible that during this time it was used instead of for tanks, they were using it to transport a bunch of troops always a possibility. Nevertheless, it was not a troop transport ship. It was a tank ship, and it was built specifically for carrying tanks because when carrying a 500-ton load, the LST-975, the USS Marion County, in other words, drew only 3 feet 11 inches forward and 9 feet 10 inches aft. They carried pontoons amidship that could be used to create causeways when they had to debark their cargoes from deeper water, but they were capable of dropping their forward ramps directly onto a beach. So this is exactly what you would imagine. It is a ship that carries tanks and other large tracked vehicles from place to place, and it is built in such a way, a shallow draft vessel, that it draws very little water. It does not go very deep into the water, even with a 500-ton load, which means that it can then go into shallow areas, such as very close to a beach, drop its forward ramp on the beach, and get the tanks on or off. So as I say, it is not a troop ship. It is a tank ship. 
This is one area where we find the story is told by Elder Wilson in conference to be in error. And once again, we can only find out that it's an error because a very intelligent and enterprising listener to this program was able to figure out the name of the ship and that it is, in fact, a tank ship. Just one of the likely reasons why it is that when telling faith-promoting stories in General Conference, it is a good idea to give as few details as possible. In fact, Elder Wilson might have been better off just not mentioning the name of the ensign at all. But now we get to the second reason for this special podcast called A Whale of a Tale. This time, it's personal. Because the personal part about it has to do with what Bill Real did the day after this podcast released. Remember, this podcast released on Sunday, August 12th, 2018. And unbeknownst to me, what Bill Real did was the following morning, on Monday, August 13th, 2018, Bill Real managed to get a hold of the email address for Elder Larry Wilson of the Quorum of the Seventy, the Seventy who gave this story in general conference. And and Bill Real decided... He would call him out on this bogus story that he told in general conference. And Bill Real does it in quintessential Bill Real style. I have received a copy of the email that he sent to Larry Wilson on that faithful morning, as well as a copy of the emails that Larry Wilson sent back to Bill Real. That's right. Elder Larry Wilson of the Quorum of the Seventy gets called out by Bill Real, and he actually responds to the email that Bill Real is sending. So what I want to do is I want to go over those emails so that you can enjoy this exchange as much as I did when Bill Real told me about it. August 13th, 2018 at 9.09 a.m., Bill Real sent this message to Brother Wilson. Now, Bill Real sent it to Brother Wilson under the name Mormon Discussions, Inc., using the email address mormondiscussionspodcasts at gmail.com. So it is very clear to Elder Wilson that he is replying to a podcast dealing with Mormon discussions, and he's certainly on notice that anything he says can and may be used against him in the court of public opinion. Here's the email. Brother Wilson, you gave a conference talk in this past April titled, Take the Holy Spirit as Your Guide. Are you aware that your story about Ensign Blair is so full of false pieces that the entire story falls apart? Sorry, it's hard for me not to laugh while I'm reading this. This is hysterical. A recent podcast, I think we know what podcast that is. A recent podcast has deconstructed your story at every turn. It is found here. And there he gives a link to Radio Free Mormon, Whale of a Tale, for Elder Wilson's listening pleasure. It is found here. And now he bullet points several of the problems with the story that I covered in that episode. Bullet point. A captain who leaves the bridge. Bullet point. A sailor who goes to bed during a typhoon. Bullet point. A sailor who sees the propellers or screws. He puts screws in parentheses. A sailor who sees the propellers from the deck when they are under the boat. Bullet point. A sailor on the deck during a typhoon. Bullet point. The fact that the captain and engineer already knew the issue and were addressing it makes God having Ensign Blair walk the deck during a typhoon in the middle of the night ridiculous. Yes, Bill Real actually used the R word to Elder Larry Wilson at the Quorum of the Seventy. Bullet point. The absurdity of a captain ignoring his engineer over an ensign. 
These are only a few, Bill continues. These are only a few. There are over a dozen problematic points to the story you told. The host of this podcast has consulted several Navy men, and they each find this account to be so absurd as only to leave the option as to consider it a blatant, false, fictional story. That's right. <laughs> you tell him, Bill, it's not only false, it's false and fictional. <laughs> and blatant. It's a blatant false fictional story. Bill Real concludes, I am curious what you think of the idea of using false stories to build faith in others when such stories are conveyed as fact and they are anything but. Then he signs it, Mormon Discussions, Inc. And the amazing thing is that after he sends this rather withering email to Elder Larry Wilson of the Quorum of the Seventy, Elder Wilson replies. And not only does he reply, he replies very quickly. Remember, this was sent at 9.09 a.m. Well, just a little over an hour later, Elder Wilson sends this reply. For your information, I obtained all of the information from Ensign Frank Blair, who not only gave me every detail of the story, but signed off on every word I used in the conference talk. The experience I described occurred just exactly as outlined in my talk. That was sent from his iPad, the iPad of Larry Young Wilson at 10.14 a.m. on Monday, August 13th, 2018. It is interesting how he shifts from stating what is apparently factual information that he got the story from Ensign Frank Blair and that Ensign Frank Blair signed off on every detail, to jump to the conclusion, as he says in his last sentence, that the experience I described occurred just exactly as outlined in my talk. Now, once again, that's obviously a non sequitur. It is one thing to say that the witness, Ensign Blair, signed off on every detail of the story, but it is a complete jump from there to state that the experience occurred just exactly as Ensign Blair described it. And unfortunately, a member of the 70 is being confronted by Bill Reel of Mormon Discussion showing that actually that's not really possible. Every detail did not happen exactly the way Ensign Blair said it happened. But apparently, after writing this reply to Bill Reel, Elder Wilson thought he should follow it up with another reply. And so at 1049 a.m., about another half an hour later, Larry Wilson sends this additional reply by email to Bill Reel of Mormon Discussions. Quote, I should have added that there is no reason for me to waste my time listening to the podcast. Why is it that general authorities always think it's a waste of time to be listening to my podcast? If they keep saying those kinds of things, I am going to get a complex. But that's what he says. I should have added that there is no reason for me to waste my time listening to the podcast, since all of the information I shared in the talk came from the individual who had the experience. He goes on, it is first-hand information from Ensign Frank Blair himself, verified by him in every detail, including every word I used in the talk. Thank you for your interest. Yes, he actually ends with, thank you for your interest. So although Elder Wilson does not have time to listen to my podcast, he also apparently does not have time to fact-check his stories before telling them in general conference, other than simply getting the word of the person who told him the story that every word in the story is actually true. But Bill Reel doesn't leave it at that. He follows up. Elder Wilson has taken the bait and replied not once but twice now to Bill's opening email. So Bill follows up with this 
11.27, the same morning, August 13th, 2018. Bill Real writes, I understand you got the story from him. I also assume you didn't knowingly present a false story. That said, the story as told simply doesn't add up and falls apart in the worst way. People often embellish stories or make them up for a bunch of reasons. Take Paul H. Dunn. <laughs> Take Paul H. Dunn, former 70 in the 1970s and 1980s. He made a life out of telling false stories about himself that were not true. And by the way, Bill Real is providing links for documentation to many of these claims throughout this email, like where he says he made a life out of telling false stories about himself. He provides a link so that all Elder Wilson has to do is click the link so he can find out more about Paul H. Dunn, as if he doesn't already know. Paul H. Dunn is one of his former members in the same body in which he currently serves, being the Quorum of the Seventy. Going on with Bill Real, though, about Paul H. Dunn, he made a life out of telling false stories about himself that were not true. He claimed to play for the St. Louis Cardinals, and he told wartime stories, and all of them turned out to be blatantly false. If you refuse to be open to the story you told being false, there is not much anyone can do. But the story is false nonetheless. But that says more about you than me or the others who know this story is false. Once again, I'm trying not to laugh out loud. This is great, Bill. This is great. It's gold, Jerry. Gold. Ask yourself. <laughs> Bill Real is telling a member of the Quorum of the Seventy to ask himself stuff. Ask yourself, how does an ensign on the deck see propellers that are on the very bottom of a boat? Do a Google search for Navy ships. Once again, he provides a link. Do a Google search. <laughs> excuse me. Do a Google search for Navy ships. And find me one with the screws visible from the deck, even if it comes out of the water in a high wave. Explain how we saw them. In the dark of night? In a typhoon? If you can't answer that question, you have proof enough that the story is false. No ship exposes its propellers to something running into them from the side or being dropped from the deck. Imagine this ensign on the deck during a typhoon in the pitch dark with 45-foot waves crashing onto the boat. No captain is letting a man out there, and no man is going out there. Did you notice his story has the sole reason being that God wanted him to gather information? But that same information was already known by the captain and the engineer, so he risked his life for nothing. Now imagine a captain allowing him to go out on a whim, the story is insane. Yes, that's what Bill Real says to Elder Larry Wilson. The story is insane. Why in the middle of a dangerous moment would a captain leave the bridge? That is not how Navy procedure works. The ensign would be fetched and the captain would be on his bridge so others could find him when needed. A Navy ship captain ignoring his engineer whose solution is to put the boat in circles then he says in parentheses, one propeller already faster being sped up with another propeller slower, end of parentheses. This story makes zero sense and comes off like an extreme case of telling a far-fetched story. To not make space that Brother Blair made the story up, or at least deeply embellished it, is pride and ignores just how many twists and turns the story has that make no sense. Again, feel free to ignore, but sadly... This story is simply not true. It's not that there is one point where the story falls apart, but again, there are over a dozen. 
The story is false, and you can pretend it adds up fine, but it doesn't. This story is more absurd than the Elder Holland story that he had been telling for three years, and yes, Bill Real provides a link for this too, more absurd than the Elder Holland story that he had been telling for three years about the missionary that met his brother and brought him back to the church. Now Bill's going to commiserate a little bit with Elder Wilson. I totally get our need for faith-promoting stories, but in an age of information and recordable, verifiable history, we have to be extremely careful to fact-check details and use more than the Spirit in discerning. Then he says in parentheses, people felt the spirit of Paul H. Dunn's stories, and they felt the spirit of Elder Holland's stories, and they likely felt it from yours. Then Bill Reel once again states, your story isn't true. For the record, many of the stories in our faith tradition don't hold up well under historical analysis. Man, now that Bill Reel's got Larry Wilson's attention, he is going for the jugular. For the record, many of the stories in our faith tradition don't hold up well under historical analysis. Thomas Marsh leaving over milk strippings, Simon's Rider leaving over a misspelled name, Brigham Young Transfiguration, Sweet River Crossing, Jesus Born on April 6th, and hundreds more. Sadly, our faith is full of these, and Ensign Blair's is just one more on the pile. So, if you're simply unwilling to hear the data and facts, well, that is sad and unfortunate and contrary to to Christ-like humility, <laughs> and contrary to Christ-like humility, being vulnerable to mistakes is a positive attribute. Happy to talk further. Mormon Discussions, Inc. Now, you might think that would be the end of the, <laughs> the exchange between Bill Real and Elder Wilson, but no, Elder Wilson responds to this as well. On the same day, August 13th, now at 12.21 p.m., Elder Larry Wilson responds to Bill Reel saying one line, The story is true, and I'm sure Ensign Blair could answer any questions someone has about it. That's the end of Elder Wilson's reply email. I'm sure Ensign Blair could answer any questions someone has about it. Well, Elder Wilson left an opening and Bill Reel decided to drive through it. At 1.11 p.m., still on Monday, August 13th, Bill Reel responds to this invitation. Just three, all in capitals, just three. I would love to hear his answers. I can't wait. Number one, how did he visually see the propellers on his ship? from the deck that has its propellers on the bottom of the boat. Number two, why did God need you to risk your life to go on the deck in the night during a typhoon to gather information that the propellers were moving at different speeds when the captain and engineer seemed to already have gathered that information from reading the gauges on the bridge? They were already trying to solve the issue when Ensign Blair went on the bridge. And number three, could he provide any witnesses who can both corroborate his story as well as verify that said person was actually on this ship with him and can vouch that he saved the day in an impossible fashion? I look forward to these answers. Four exclamation points. Mormon Discussions, Inc. Well, that last email in the exchange, as I say, was sent at 1.11 p.m. on Monday, August 13th. And a week later, Bill Reel, having heard nothing in response from Elder Wilson, sent him a follow-up email. You see, Elder Wilson just hopes 
that Mormon Discussions Inc., i.e. Bill Real, will simply go away and let this fade into oblivion. But a week later, on Monday, August 20th, at 8.16 a.m., once again, first thing in the morning, Bill Real follows up. Elder Wilson, comma, Curious if you had a chance yet to get those answers from Ensign Blair. I would really love to verify this story is more than a tall tale. Thank you. Well, that's the end of the email exchange. We will yet see whether Elder Wilson responds to this last salvo in the email exchange between Bill Reel and a member of the Quorum of the Seventy. So while I want to give kudos to Elder Wilson for actually replying to questions, even pointed questions, aimed at him regarding a general conference talk he gave last April, the answers he does give seem far from satisfactory. I will definitely update you should Elder Wilson choose to respond further with more details and corroboration. Stop the presses! Stop the presses! Late breaking news. Elder Wilson has now responded to Bill Reel's last email asking questions of Ensign Blair. On Tuesday, August 21st, 2018 at 1.40 p.m., Larry Wilson responded to the questions after apparently talking with Ensign Blair regarding them. Here is his email response. During the preparation of my general conference talk, I had frequent conversations with Frank Blair to be sure I was relating his experience correctly. My account is not based upon second or third hand accounts. It comes directly from the person whose thoughts and actions I was describing. Brother Blair sent me this comment on one of the many emails we exchanged, quote, I am grateful for your efforts to attempt to be precise on all the details of my experience, end of the quote from Ensign Blair. Elder Wilson continues, regarding the first question, now remember the first question that Bill Reel had asked was, how did he visually see the propellers on a ship from the deck that has its propellers on the bottom of the boat? In response to this, Elder Wilson says, regarding the first question, the back of the troop transport ship slopes inward. Let me repeat that, because what he's describing is what is going to make it even more difficult for someone standing on the back deck to be able to see the propellers. The back of the troop transport ship slopes inward. So you can't just stand on the back of the deck and look straight down. You have to lean way, 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 way over at what will probably be an impossible angle in order to even have a line of sight to where the propellers are. Note once again that Elder Wilson reiterates his identification of the ship as a troop transport ship when in fact it appears to have been a tank transport ship. Elder Wilson continues, When you are standing on the rear of the ship, leaning outward against the cable railing, Brother Blair indicates that you can see the propellers as the ship moves through the water. Well, actually, you might be able to see the water that is churned by the propellers, but you will not be able to see the propeller itself. I have some other people who have been out investigating and researching and finding photographs of LST ships. And I have found schematics of LST ships, like the one that Ensign Blair served on. And one of these pictures actually shows the propellers out of the water. And if you look at this picture, and I trust that Bill Real will have these in the show notes, if you look at this picture, you will see clearly it was absolutely impossible under the best of circumstances, for anybody on the back of the ship or anywhere else on the deck of the ship 
to be able to have a line of sight to the propellers regardless of how far over the railing they leaned. The other thing to keep in mind here is that when you visualize this, remember this is happening in a typhoon with 45-foot waves. The only place at which the propellers would be visible would be when they were out of the water. And the only time at which the propellers would be out of the water is when the stern or the rear of the ship was at the crest of one of these 45-foot waves. There's no place else where the propellers would be exposed in order for Ensign Blair to see them. Now keep in mind that at the point that the stern of the ship is at the top of a 45-foot wave, the rest of the ship is pointed downward at a rather steep angle toward the front of the ship. Therefore, anybody standing on the back of the ship, leaning over the railing, at the time that the stern came out of the water at the crest of a wave, would be in a position that is difficult to imagine or to maintain. Because this person, Ensign Blair, would be leaning forward against the railing to see the propellers while the rest of the ship was at an angle downward behind him. And this fact, coupled with the fact it is in the dark of night, coupled with the fact it is in a typhoon with 45-foot waves crashing around him and on the deck of the ship makes this scenario completely implausible. Now, I do want to add that the USS Marion County is labeled LST-975. The picture that was found is not the LST-975. Rather, it is a picture of the LST-325. So to be perfectly careful in my analysis, if the LST-975, the USS Marion County, is indeed the ship on which Ensign Frank Blair was serving at the time of the alleged typhoon. And if the propeller configuration and schematics of the LST-975 are similar to that of the photograph we have of the LST-935, then it would be absolutely impossible for anybody standing anywhere on the deck, even leaning as far over as possible on the back railing to have a sight line to the propellers of the ship. And once you see that picture, it will become instantly obvious to anybody. Elder Wilson goes on with the second question that Bill Real posed. You will remember that his second question was, why did God need you to risk your life to go on the deck in the night during a typhoon to gather information that the propellers were moving at different speeds when the captain and engineer seem to already have gathered that information from reading the gauges on the bridge. This is how Elder Wilson responds to that. On the second point, whatever information the ship's engineer had was leading him to the opposite conclusion that Ensign Blair came to. The engineer wanted to increase the engine speed. Ensign Blair advised that they reduce engine speed. He mentioned to me that he grew up on a farm and learned that there were times when it was better to slow a tractor's engine down rather than speed it up. Well, it's a good thing that the chief engineer of the ship didn't understand that principle. I added that in. Elder Wilson's email continues. His direct observation and seeking for heavenly guidance were important in enabling him to reach a different conclusion than the engineer arrived at. In the eyes of the captain, following the advice of Ensign Blair, save the ship. So obviously, when it comes to a choice between the ship's engineer and Farmer Frank, who knows how to operate a tractor, the captain is going to vote against the chief engineer. On the third point, 
And the third question you will recall was, could Frank provide any witnesses who can corroborate his story? To this, Elder Wilson responds, on the third point, the engineer remained in contact with Ensign Blair for some years after the war. He lived in the Denver area. Brother Blair indicates that he raised this experience from time to time in conversation with this man. I hope this is helpful to you, Larry Wilson. Well, I don't know that that really answers the question. Actually, I think what Bill Real was asking is, is there an independent witness who can come forward and corroborate this? Not does Larry Wilson say that there was another witness who can corroborate it. And all of that and more, Bill Real makes clear in his response to that email from Elder Wilson. His response is dated Thursday, August 23rd at 10.07 a.m. Here is Bill Real's response. And this is what we'll be ending the podcast with. Elder Wilson, thanks for responding. Sadly, I don't feel you addressed any of my questions. Number one, can you tell me the name of the ship he was on? For instance, was it the USS Marion County, which he served on? I have no idea how Bill Real got the idea that might be the name of the ship. There are various kinds of transport ships. Number two, do you understand that the engineer and the captain already had the information that God had Ensign Blair risk his life to gather? While they were addressing the problem wrongly, they did in fact have the data that a problem needed addressed. In other words, your story is told so as to impose they already knew what Ensign Blair was risking his life to find out even if they had the wrong solution. Number three. Your response about the engineer and Blair knowing each other and still talking to this day is still hearsay. Can you pass along to me contact information for an actual second witness of this experience? Telling me the one guy who makes an incredible claim talks to other witnesses himself is not sufficient. I would like to personally speak to someone else familiar with this experience who can back up Ensign Blair's telling. And then... Bill Real has drawn a picture of what it would have to look like for Ensign Blair to be hanging off or tied off, leaning over the back of the ship, with the back of the ship at the crest of a 45-foot wave in order to try and see the propeller. And this is what he refers to now. Elder Wilson, I have included a photo below. Please, in light of the image it portrays, think through what this suggests. And I hope we have a copy of this drawing in the show notes, too, because it is really hysterical. Bill Reel goes on. In the middle of a typhoon, Ensign Blair is permitted by the captain to go out on the deck of a Navy ship during the nighttime in the middle of a typhoon with 45-foot waves. Ensign Blair must secure himself with a rope alone to inspect a place. He must untie and tie the rope and loosen and tighten the rope all by himself as he inspects each location in the middle of a typhoon, at night, with 45-foot waves. I think Bill Real is doing a good job at pointing out how implausible this story is. As you point out, all these ships slope inward at the back. You see, Bill Real's going to hold them to account on that. The propellers, or screws, are never super close to the outside edge, but instead are positioned below the boat at least 15 to 20 feet from the outside edge. Can you fathom... In the midst of 45-foot waves and the angle needed and the need to secure oneself manually, alone, just how outrageous this story becomes. It is not a matter of maybe. The captain leaving the bridge during a serious matter, a typhoon. The captain letting him go out alone, absurd. 
he is still achieving an angle to see the screws. Absurd. He is manually securing himself safely in a typhoon with 45-foot waves. Absurd. Have you ever tried to walk the deck of a ship in a typhoon? Again, several Navy men have been consulted about the points of this story, and to a T, all of them remark that the risk of being dashed to pieces by the waves alone makes this story impossible. Within seconds of being in the position of the image drawn, that's his drawing that he made and which he attaches to this email, within seconds of being in the position of the image drawn, one would be in the opposite position, and with the back of the ship being forced down towards the water. In other words, Bill Reel's talking about the rolling effects of the waves. This is not a static situation, of course, during a typhoon. The 45-foot waves are coming and going and lifting the back of the ship and then the front of the ship, or the front of the ship and then the back of the ship, depending upon which way the ship is facing, either into the waves or away from the waves, alternately with rapidity. So this is what he means when he says, within seconds of being in the position of the image drawn, which is with Ensign Blair hanging over the back railing, one would be in the opposite position and with the back of the ship being forced down towards the water. That's as the wave goes by underneath. While the rope may hold, his footing almost certainly would not. All this danger to see something that the captain and the engineer already know from their gauges safely on the bridge. Then add to that a captain who ignores his engineer to listen to an ensign. Absurd. And now Bill Reel's concluding paragraph and call to repentance. Elder Wilson, one statistical improbability makes a story unlikely. Over a half dozen make the story an impossible tale that is simply made up. Again, do you grasp that even church leaders have been caught telling such tales, demonstrably shown by the examples of Paul H. Dunn and Elder Holland, to name a couple? And I can easily name more if you want them. This story simply is too far-fetched to be true. Your inability to acknowledge this doesn't add up, and it begins to impugn your credibility. So now, Bill Reel is going after Elder Wilson himself. That's why this episode is subtitled, This Time, It's Personal. What are the chances you were lied to? Why are you dead set on defending this story? Why do you refuse to make space that this Blair guy told a tall tale? Is this your father? Is this your uncle? Is this your best friend? The story has too many holes. Can you please take two minutes and hear me from one good human being to another? Can you validate that at each of these points, it appears to not be a rational, reasonable occurrence? And in spite of this story having over a half dozen unreasonable, irrational occurrences, you choose to believe Ensign Blair, in spite of the story being deeply problematic. Why is that? Why are you unable to make any space in your mind that this guy fabricated, or at least deeply embellished, this story. And then he says, I hope you like the drawing! Exclamation point. And then he has his drawing, which once again I hope will be part of the show notes. It's a very, very funny drawing, very clever. Bill Real has missed out on a career as a cartoonist. And so now I have caught you up to date on this intriguing discussion between Bill Real and a member of the Quorum of the Seventy, in which Bill Real is calling him out on telling a far-fetched, false, miracle story 
to millions of people in General Conference from last April. Once again, I will keep you apprised if and when Elder Wilson chooses to respond to Bill Reel's call to repentance. And once again, I have to break into the podcast with some breaking news. There has been a positive identification of Frank S. Blair. In other words, the Frank S. Blair that is referred to in the Ogden Standard Examiner newspaper report from August 19th of 1955 is indeed the same Frank Blair referred to in the conference talk by Larry Wilson. The way this was arrived at is that when you go to the Ogden Standard Examiner and look at the newspaper report, there is a headshot of Frank Blair. And that headshot of Frank Blair in the Ogden Examiner from 1955 is the same headshot of Frank Blair as it appears in the General Conference report as part of Elder Wilson's story. It is definite. This is the same Frank S. Blair. So now we do not have to bracket the question of whether he served on the USS Marion County because we know it was the same Frank Blair. He did serve on the USS Marion County. Again, that was a tank transport ship, not a troop transport ship, as Elder Wilson told the story. And perhaps even more significant, and the final depth charge on this story, is that Elder Wilson, when recounting this experience in General Conference, places this story during the Korean War. In fact, those are the first four words that he speaks when introducing the story during the Korean War. Well, the problem with that is that now that we know that the Ogden Examiner Frank Blair is the same Frank Blair that Elder Wilson is talking about, it appears that Frank Blair was never in the Korean War. Here's what I mean. The story in the Ogden Examiner is published August 19, 1955. It says, Lieutenant Frank Blair returned home this week after being discharged from the U.S. Navy, which means he returned home within the week preceding August 19, 1955, and that he had served the majority of his two years in the Far East. So we know that he did a two-year stint. He was not a career man. He did not re-enlist. He served only two years in the Navy, being discharged in August of 1955. Well, August of 1955 minus two years places Frank Blair's enlistment in the Navy in August of 1953. So what is the problem, you ask? The problem is that the Korean War was already over by the time Frank Blair enlisted in the Navy. The Korean War commenced on June 25, 1950. It concluded on July 27, 1953 the month before Frank Blair enlisted in the Navy. So even though Elder Wilson says Frank Blair signed off on every detail of the story, as it was told in General Conference, apparently this minor detail was overlooked. Frank Blair never served during the Korean War. So even the very first four words of the story are incorrect. It did not happen during the Korean War. In fact, as the evidence continues to mount, it appears conclusive that this story never occurred at all. That's about all for tonight. Until next time, this is Radio Free Mormon, signing off the air.